Yeah, I will find a lot of times people uh, think they want food or think they want a certain industry, but my job is to help them understand why. Why do you want this particular industry? Is it because you have a knee-jerk emotional reaction thinking it's going to make you money? And maybe it's not a good fit for you. Maybe your skill set is not a good fit for that. Uh, maybe your capital, your comfortable investing is not a good fit for that. Right. And so one of the jokes I make with clients is if we all had $20 million, we would all have a different comfort level of how much to invest. We are looking forward our way. Hi, my name is Brett Johnson, and with me as usual on every episode is Carol Ventresca. How are you, Carol? I'm good, Brett. How are you today? Doing good, doing good. good. We're a little hot in studio today, but it's uh, it's toward the end of August, and I think the AC is just not catching up with the studio, but that's okay because... Uh, uh, we've got some really exciting topics coming up in, in upcoming episodes, but this one is, I think, really special because it's such, just a different way of looking at changing your life. Yes, we're looking at transitions, yeah, particularly in um, today's world, and people have a lot of questions of what am I going to do next? This is a great way for us to start. Right, with franchises. Yes. So, and... To me, the only person you got to talk to is franchise educator, Jolanda Sideri. I've yes, talked I, with her before. I've worked <laughs> with her for years. I, in fact, to kind of give a little background, um, I met her initially through another podcast that she is now actually a co-host on, <laughs> The Dollar Saving Divas and More. So it's, it's, it's just one of those, wow, it's such a small world, when you, especially when you get into the podcasting realm. Right. Yes, it is. <laughs> so when the, the Dollar Saving Divas and More needed a new, a new co-host, I told Kelly, you got to talk to Talanda. She did a great job with the interview. You guys get along anyway. It's like, she says, that makes sense. <laughs> so <laughs> perfect marriage, perfect marriage. So yeah, exactly. So let's talk a little bit about the franchise educator. Talk about your career background, how you got to this point. Oh, goodness. Um, so I started out um, moving to New York, <laughs> mm. getting out of Dodge. Um, and I interned on The Late Show with David Letterman for a while. Um, okay. So it was a lot right. of fun. Learned a lot yeah. on, you know, keep on your toes. <laughs> Goodness. Um, and then I went into sales marketing. I worked at uh, the Sherwin-Williams Company um, in their marketing department. And I did grand openings all across the country for new stores, relocated stores. Um, and then I worked for ADP in their sales department cutting my teeth into, you know, just cold calling and sales and right. Right, um, meeting with small business owners. And then 2008, 2009 hit and my husband at the time was laid off. So we got into franchising. Friends of ours that we actually met in Buffalo uh, were from here in central Ohio and they owned multiple different types of franchises. So we purchased two franchises out of Northeast Ohio and now, 11 years later, I work as a consultant helping people understand, you know, what is franchising? Is it right for them? Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. And if it is right for them, which ones? Exactly. Right. It seems like when I've talked to clients in the past that they look at franchising as sort of um, uh, mysterious. And unless okay. you have enough money to yes. buy a McDonald's. You know, what? there's nothing else out there. So give us a little bit of basic information about franchising. What is it? Why is it different than owning just your own business? And what are the advantages? Sure. So franchising is a great vehicle to use to get into business ownership and not have to recreate the wheel. So you made an excellent point about uh, the McDonald's and having millions of dollars, because that usually is the first thing people want to know about or think that they need is I need $5 million, I have to do a McDonald's, or I have to do food. 
And our job is to really help them understand one. There's sort of this fun little phrase I've learned over the years is that if you've heard of it, it's either ridiculously expensive or the territory is already taken. So there's many other options out there. So everyone wants to understand what is the orange theory before it hits big. Yes. So our firm represents over 300 different concepts from emerging to 400, 500 units. So we have great clips. We have super cuts. And that's about as, as high up as we go, because then once you're higher than that, then you don't work with a firm because you have so many people within the system that it doesn't matter. Okay. So in other words, that you're, what you're trying to do is to get individuals to see the advantage of, no, McDonald's is a little up there, but what you're really looking at is here's a population, here's a territory. I think that's a huge issue. That is a huge issue. Yeah. I will find a lot of times people uh, think they want food or think they want a certain Mm -hmm. industry, but my job is to help them understand why. Why do you want this particular industry? Is it because you have a knee-jerk emotional reaction thinking it's going to make you money? And maybe it's not a good fit for you. Maybe your skill set is not a good fit for that. Uh, Maybe your capital, your comfortable investing is not a good fit for that. Right. And so one of the jokes I make with clients is if we all had $20 million, we would all have a different comfort level of how much to invest. So let's figure out all your search criteria, where you want to be, what you want the business to do for you, what are your goals, how much time do you want to spend in the business, what's your capital to invest, um, what types of employees do you want to manage? Do you want to manage 70 like at a McDonald's or do you want to manage two? Right. You know, and, and taking a look at all these different factors that go into the business ownership and then begin matching you up. So that's our job is to match you up with different uh, franchise or systems like a business matchmaker. Uh, they hire our firm. There's no fees to the client, but they hire our firm to say, OK, let's prevet the clients. Let's understand so that when we make that introduction and that match, the client knows that we've pre-done that research and, and saved them that time of clicking around on the Internet. Oh, interesting. And so my next question, I think, fits right in here is that because we don't understand how many different ways there are and different companies there are to franchise. So other than, you know, there are business to business, there's business to customer. Mm -hmm. What are the industries besides food, which would be difficult? (laughs) Food is very difficult. I will first off tell anybody, unless if you've done food before, I would stay away from it. Um, The other industries, fitness, that's the other big one that people Mm -hmm. uh, ask about, like about um, automotive, pets, senior care, health and wellness. So massage, medical is another one that we're starting to get into. Really? Okay. Yes. Um, Home home improvement. So residential home improvement, you're painting, you're flooring, you're insulation. Um, Some of that can go over onto the commercial side too. Lawn, mosquito, restoration, that's a huge one. How bad? That is okay. a huge one. It's not sexy. It's not very glamorous, but it's a stable industry. Oh, absolutely. And, and so these are some of the things that I try to figure out with the clients is here's all these industries. You know, you may never have pictured yourself in one of them because a lot of people go with what their passion is. And so what I like to say is and, and try to help coach them on is the idea that if you were going to start a business from the ground up, you would go with something that you know. But franchising allows you to get into industries that you may not necessarily know. But if you know what you're doing with business and managing people, you have a whole new world open up to you. Well, that leads right into our question about skills. What mm-hmm. Should you have owned a business before? Is it really a skill-based mindset that I'm good in accounting, I'm good with people and such? I've never owned a business, but I think I can 
do this? How do you, how do you bring that out in the potential franchise owner? Yeah, no, good question. Um, understanding their skill sets is key. Um, I would say number one is you need to believe in yourself. You can believe that you can do this. Uh, managing people is probably the second. If you know how to manage people, motivate them, coach them, then owning a business is something that is going to come much easier to you. Um, having that uh, dedication to the business too, uh, the self-discipline. I mean, whether you're owning your own business or whether you're owning a franchise, having that self-discipline with it, you just can't sit back on your laurels and think, oh, everything's going to come to me for now for customers. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to put into the work. So managing people, believing in yourself and the self-discipline you know, are some of the top three. Other skill sets, sure. If you've owned a business before, you're going to know more of what you're getting into. Um, franchising obviously provides the support and the structure and the uh, processes and systems that are going to give a lot more security and structure than if you were to start something on your own. You know, often um, people would hear when they were job hunting, someone would say, well, you have this hobby. Why don't you make a business out of it? And they would sort of look at me with this blank look like, why would I want to do that? And I'm not really sure I, I would want to do that. But doing a franchise as opposed to um, doing just your hobby at a higher level really is giving you a much firmer basis to start a business. And no, it may not be your passion, but it really is identifying the value you bring if you were working for an employer. So now that value you're bringing to working for yourself. For yourself. Good. I'm That's tired wonderful. of making money for someone else is, is what I hear all the time. Right. If you have that uh, career background and managing people and you're at a point now where you want to make more money for yourself than someone else, this is a great opportunity. And, and you're saying about the, the hobbies, I kind of giggled a little bit because it makes me think of the book, The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. Mm-hmm. He goes through the whole story about the woman who loved to bake the pies, but then it became her burden. Right. The entire thing was her burden. She didn't enjoy her hobby anymore. And I've kind of done the same thing. I love photography. I've, I sort of started a little side photography job thing. But if I were to really turn it into a full business, it would be about managing the business. I wouldn't get to do much of the creative side anymore. And I, I feel like it would ruin the hobby for me. Right. And and I think artists in general have that issue. Mm-hmm. It's they can't create if they have to make money. Right. Off of that creation, it sort of interferes with that. It's it's that process. It's two separate sides, and and most people um, cannot marry the two successfully. Mm-hmm. So we owned a painting business. My former husband and I owned a painting business in Northeast Ohio, and you know, working with the painters, you know, they were great at their job. They understood painting. They had the creative side. They wanted it done well, but they didn't get the business side of it. Mm-hmm. And so it was, you know, marrying those two thoughts. So um, that that's one of the things I try to help people understand. You don't. Ha- Put on your business hat, not your consumer hat. Oh, good point. Right. So think of the business. Um, maybe it's not something you would use, but is there enough of a market out there? Is there enough of a percentage of the market in your area that is using that service? And, and that's almost, that's completely eye-opening to some people. That it they is. never think about <laughs> that's what businesses are doing. They, I think their mindset is they got into it. They own the business because they liked that right. product. They liked that food which you read about that with restaurant tours all the time. They, they started the restaurant because they like that type of food. So, and they have a knack to doing it. That doesn't mean necessarily mean that's what they should be doing. Correct. Correct. And that's why restaurants go out of business. So, I mean, the attrition rate's nuts the with, attrition that, rate is nuts. with yeah, that industry right. that 
because you like making breakfast doesn't mean you need to go up against first watch. <laughs> Very true. That is an excellent point. You know. Well, and it 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 really, in some ways, whenever I would hear somebody say to a job seeker, oh, just, you know, take your hobby and start a business. I'd almost mm-hmm. kind of think of it as a little bit flippant to that individual who is truly in need of work. Right. And starting a business is so overwhelming in general, but to do it when you are um, at a critical spot, needing to work, needing to pay bills, it 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 was sort of like, I don't know, just, I don't want to say a nasty comment, but it was a, it was um, ignoring the issue, ignoring the real issue. And part of that issue was likely the person didn't know what value they brought to an employer. I, yeah. I, I'm always going back to that and individuals don't really understand how much they can do for an employer uh, transitioning from one place to another. And that's what they're doing with franchising is transitioning mm-hmm. from working for somebody else work, to working for themselves. They're still bringing all that value with them. Sure. True. Yeah. And, and your comment made me think of something too. I think um, the respect for what it takes to open a business. Right. You know, yes. and, and I think one thing that I try to get through to clients, you know, shifting your perspective or your paradigm and how you're viewing it is one thing. Um, but also understanding that, um, for as much as sometimes a franchise can feel like a plug and play, there's still a lot of work that mm-hmm. needs to be done. Right. It's not just uh, purchase the franchise and sit back. Oh, my gosh. Right. right. I mean, there, there still needs to be a respect and a regard for business ownership and what it takes. And, you know, some some business concepts are set up as semi-absentee and some are owner-operator. And these are some of the things we go through with the clients to understand. Um, but there's still work involved. Now, Re, you know, building the wheel, inventing the wheel of starting your own thing is different than going into a proven system. Mm-hmm. So you have that support, but it does still take work and the respect for understanding what it takes to manage, start it, run it. So the the most obvious question to you, of course, is what are the hottest franchises to oh, own? The, the question I get it's not all McDonald's. The time. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the, the secondary question to that is how do I own a Chick Fil A? Mm. Um, <laughs> There you go. Right. I, I would say apply to Harvard Business School first. You might get in. <laughs> um, the hottest businesses. Yeah, that question gets asked around a lot. We do um, a lot of talks internally at our firm about that one. Um, it kind of depends on you know what we're seeing coming up in the ranks based upon uh, the business itself, uh, the market that it's hitting, who structured the business, how they're operating it. Sometimes you get uh, people who just want to start a franchise and that's it. Uh, Sometimes you have franchise um, veterans and executives who know what they're doing and they've started something from the ground up or they found a business that was already in operation and have taken it on and now structuring it as a franchise. So one of the things that I try to have people look at is it may be newer, but what's the history here? Right, right. Who's starting it? Why are they doing this? And how are they doing this? My first thought when I asked that question, what's the hottest to own? I'm guessing that people who are asking you that question are really saying, where can I make the most Most money? money. (laughs) Which is not necessarily hottest. No. Well, no. I mean, I think we naturally attribute hottest to richest. Um, But I mean, the the other thing to think about there is is hottest doesn't mean it's going to make you money. Right. Um, there oh, are McDonald's franchisees who fail and you, and you want to look and say how. I mean, it's the most proven mm-hmm. system. 
if you don't believe in it or, you you know, you're going to sit back and not do the work, you're sure going to fail. If you don't follow their processes and systems, you're going to fail at anything, even a McDonald's franchise. And I would think if you'd been looking at a McDonald's, you might want to go into one for a while over a series of months. And oh, well, look, between their process, yeah, right. you're going to have to be dedicated yeah. just to and, get through the process. And kind of take a look at who's behind the counter. If you see new faces all the time, mm-hmm. there lies in the problem. Maybe that's why it does mm-hmm. fail because it's hard to find well, people. It, it, it is. It, yeah. Depending on, again, the franchise and such, it's one of those, right. those, that's a piece of failure is that you can't keep good people. Well, and that was one of the things that's sort of been rolling around in my head. Just because it is a hot place or it's a successful franchise doesn't mean that you're going to find people who want to work there. We've had, we often used to get franchise owners calling us saying, I can't find enough people to work for me. Mm-hmm. And and uh, looking at if they have multiple locations right. of a particular franchise, then just get rid of one. So that they have enough people to work at the other stores. So it's and it's that, not that, easy because that problem is endemic with privately owned businesses as well. Oh, sure. the, owners, right. the owners all of a sudden oh, right. now, especially through the pandemic, it, looking at, OK, I got to do different duties now. I have to go back and sell. I have to go back doing something that I did when I started the business, mm-hmm. taking on new roles. You got to be flexible. Right. And that's not just with that's with any business that's owned, whether it's franchise or not. That's that mindset. Okay, this is going to be the tough question, but not really. But I'm sure it's a question that always comes up. The financial implications, of course, Mm -hmm. you know, and again, I know that varies on every franchise has a different price point and such. But there there are other nuances to the financial piece, too, of of health and the marketing and such. Kind of go over that in general when you walk into it. Okay, this is the price point, but there are other pieces to owning a franchise you have to take into consideration, too. Sure. Well, first, I I usually like to point out that if you're clicking around on the Internet, <laughs> um, it's going to tell you, give you the lure of an, a, a national name brand logo and you can own it for and they'll list some figure, low figure. And that's usually just the franchise fee. So in franchising, there's the whole overall project cost or overall investment or item seven in the FDD. And that is your full project cost. So what happens is is they they lure you in with that initial piece, um, but the FDD is going to show you um, the franchise fee, uh, the grand opening marketing, the training, working capital, everything that it takes to get into that business. So what we look at is they have a certain required net worth that they want franchisees or potential franchisees to have and a minimum liquid, meaning uh, non-borrowed funds. Wow. So there is a there is a threshold to begin yeah. with. Um, and so that's another thing that we use to help match people up. And, I, you know, money is always a funny thing. And I tell people, you know, I'm not trying to dive into all your finances, but we we need to talk some high level here because money is very private. It's very personal. But if we are going to start looking at business here, we need to take a look at some of these these thoughts. And you have to, you know, be careful and be respectful because someone's working really hard. They're trying to save, um, you know, maybe then we can lay out a plan that six months from now or 12 months from now, at least then they have a goal and they know where they need to be if this is something they want to get into. Other people, they need to understand that there are finance options. Um, So if you have the matching net worth and and liquid, then we can look at uh, SBA loans are an option. There's SBA Express, there's the SBA Traditional, um, and then there's rollovers, which a lot of people don't know about. And I'm going to be very careful here and not get into it too much because I leave this to the experts. But enough to kind of what the appetite here is, if you are no longer at your current position, 
Your 401k is invested into the stocks at that company, but you can roll it over to invest into yourself and it's penalty free and tax free. Oh, good. Okay. And a lot of people are not aware of that. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So that's usually an eye opening piece of information that they have a resource here where they don't have to go into all debt or maybe partial. Maybe they do partial rollover and partial SBA, but that's where then I, I hand it off to the experts. We have national firms that we recommend and they have, you know, relationships with all types of different lenders. So um, there is a difference between the national lenders and local banks because the national lenders are more familiar with franchising. Let me also add on another question to sure. that. When you're looking at um, funding opportunities, does it make a difference in if you are a female-owned business or minority-owned business? Are there additional places to look for funding? Uh, there can be. Uh, traditionally, the SBA route is the route that people are going to go, and and that that's just very standard as to you know any applicant. Okay. So we've got them interested. They're listening to the podcast. What's the next step? How what, what's the process of, of working with you? Okay. Let's just uh, just say it's that that quote unquote as you call it the mm-hmm. dating. <laughs> you know that oh, first right. step of I time. love that love that I analogy. The, oh my gosh! Well, because I think for one. I'll answer your question in just a minute. But for one, you know, you're getting into a serious conversation. Business, this is your next step. This is a big decision, another chapter of your life. Mm -hmm. So, you know, let's lighten it up a little bit. (laughs) So investigating a franchise can be very attuned to dating. And I think this helps lighten the mood, add a little laughter to it. It's like casually dating. Just because you decide that you want to look into franchising doesn't mean you now get the pick of the litter and say, okay, well, I don't know if I want to buy you yet. (laughs) You have to be awarded a franchise. And that's where we come in and help people and understand that, you know, you have to go through a process with me to vet you to then be introduced to the franchisor because then they have processes and procedures to go through an investigation with you for Two different reasons, really. One, they want to see how well do you go through an investigation that's very process oriented because it's going to give them a second level layer of information on how well you went through that. And usually we'll give them an indication on how you will behave as a franchisee. But then also there's so much information to learn that, you know, whether it's how do I hire somebody? How do I fire? How are you going to get me customers? My marketing, my SEO, my my training, my, you know, all these questions that people have. They give it to you in all these different formats of an investigation of phone calls and webinars and validation that you can process and digest this information so that you're not hit it once trying to you know learn all of this and think about it and marinate on it. So the best way to think about it is casually dating. Let's match you up. Everyone can begin casually having conversations. Mm-hmm. I usually tell people don't investigate more than two or three because it can be it can be a part time job. It can be you know you, you I do tell people plan on dedicating at least five hours a week to the phone calls to the two or three franchisors to listening to any webinars any other sort of homework that they have, um, and then it's just casually dating and then through that filtering process you know one will fall off maybe another you'll start to get more serious with one franchisor um maybe you're going to meet the parents and I'm putting that in air quotes because then it becomes they're going to you know discovery day or meet the team day now things are more serious we're talking more you know wrapping up the financing wrapping up um any sort of franchise attorney and then are you offered a franchise are they going to propose to you mm-hmm. and then right. you do have a decision to say yes or no And then if you say yes, then we move forward and you get franchise married, 
which still is not as stressful as regular marriage because this is only 10 years usually. (laughs) And then you can decide um, how many franchise babies you want to have. And you, I mean, at you least thought I get this them, really yeah, through, haven't you? At least laughing about it a little bit. And, you know, you can do one baby. And with anything that's your first thing, your first kid, your first business, your first house, that first real decision, you will always have the, oh my gosh, what did we do? Right. <laughs> Those 2 a.m. feedings, oh my gosh, and you're sitting there rocking with the baby. You still know in your heart it was the right decision, but it's going to be normal to feel like, oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, I, Saying that it's dating, it, that's that is an interesting perspective because I really thought of buying a franchise as buying a house. So it really mm-hmm. was. It was my decision. As long as oh, I had yeah. the money and I got there on time and I could sign that contract, it was mine. Yeah, no. That's not it. No that's a, that's a very insightful, <laughs> <laughs> very insightful. And then I also tell people after you have the first franchise baby, you can have a second one. You can scale the business. And then by the second one or third one, now, whether you're looking at a second territory or a second unit, depending Mm -hmm. on brick and mortar or service, you're throwing Cheerios at the franchise unit because, you know, with the second, third kid, you know what you're doing. So it's economies of scale. You've already bought the crib. You've already bought the stroller. You've already bought the car seat. And I could sit here for another hour and list everything that Babies R Us tries to tell you you need. And, you know, at, at that point, so then you already have purchased all this stuff or hired some of these people. You know, it's just now economies of scale that why don't you get another unit or another territory? Because, you know, it's just going to bring in more revenue at that point. Right. Do, do folks normally, if they add on to the franchise, normally stay with one company or do they look at different franchise? Both. Really? I've had both. I've had some people that come in and they do two units to start with and then they come back and they purchase more um, if it's available in the area. And this mm-hmm. is, you know, some things we go through on, you know, on during the investigation. And then sometimes what other people will do is think of synergistic businesses. You know, if you own a painting company, why don't you own a flooring company? Right. You right. know, or, or a restoration company or a restoration company right. and you own a painting and then you, company. Own the, you own the process almost. Well, or yeah. you can think of it differently of two totally different industries. You can own a restoration company and a trampoline park. Why not make it fun? Why not make it different? And then you have less seasonality. I, I was just going to say so, that I mean, there's options there yeah. with with the notion. It's like buying stock. You don't buy mm-hmm. only one. It. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and hopefully um, insulate yourself. From right. a, a catastrophe of having right. 10, 10 McDonald's and they're all closed because of a pandemic kind of thing. Right. Exactly. So, Excellent point. Mm-hmm. And, and that was I was going to also ask when you were talking about webinars for training and have you seen changes because of the pandemic in terms of the way people are approaching getting the information? Not that they are or are not looking at a franchise, but in terms of the process. Of going through um, the biggest change in the process really only comes at the end um, when you would have that meet the team or meet the parents day. Um, typically, you would fly out to the franchise headquarters. What they're doing that as a Zoom call now okay. until until everything gets better. Well, good. But yeah, we we get a lot of um, essential business requests. It, it's not very fun or sexy types of industries, but they are consistent. So, what would be in that group? In that essential business, uh, restoration would be number one. Okay, that mold, water, restoration, remediation right. type of businesses, um, insurance based. You're not chasing customers for the money. 
um, you know, there's national insurance relationships set up with the franchisor. That's another big, you know. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, right. Try to set that up on your own. Yeah. Um, when I've seen those trucks go by, I always think that's solid. Is it? Right. I, I just, it, it, again, you're right, though. It's not sexy, but it's like, wow. So that's something that I ask clients is um, what's more important to you? Mm-hmm. End result or subject matter? You got to pick one. Mm-hmm. And it, it, there's no judgment. But what's important to you? Maybe someone wouldn't be happy doing a restoration franchise. It just isn't going to sit well with them. I mean, you have to, it, it doesn't have to be your passion, your hobby, something that you're going to start from a business ground up, but you do have to en- enjoy it a little bit. There has I mean, to be has, some element of it you're going to enjoy. If you're not interested in it, you're really not going to be a good franchise owner. Well, right. You don't want to be dreading the day every day. It's, well, then Absolutely. you might as well be working for someone if that's right. the case. And that's the case. But don't confuse interest with hobby. Right. Don't confuse a business exactly. um, industry that you could be interested in and owning and seeing the full benefits versus something that you're passionate about and that you want to do one day. And, you know, and I tell people, too, if, if you have an interest in this business and you can see yourself running it, maybe it can help fund your hobby. Very true. Yeah. All right. So that really goes into my next question is, you know, when do you tell somebody you really don't want to purchase a franchise? What are the things that are that you hear um, of individuals that you're pretty sure this isn't going to work? Um, when they're really not following the process with me from from the beginning, when they're asking questions about uh, royalties, do I really have to pay these royalties? What's the value of the royalties? And, and they're sounding already disgruntled about it. Um, well, why couldn't I just do that on my own? You know, all those sorts of comments that start leaking out in conversations with people. That's usually, you know, a, a red flag that, you know, it it's not going to be for you and that's okay. So um, our firm's founder wrote a book, The Franchise MBA, and that's a great resource. Um, I do give the book for free. Once someone starts working with me, I do give the book for free. I mail it out to them. Um, There is the IFA, International Franchise Association. They're a great resource. Uh, My website, uh, thefranchiseeducator.com, I have a resource section on there, and I have a bunch of links that will go to different sites from there. Um, Our firm has virtual trade shows. So you can quote, go to the virtual booth and visit that franchisor. And we're having them um, twice a month. And the, the schedule is listed on my website. Well, that leads also to a question I had too, and that's going to lead to the very end of our podcast here too, is besides reading me, what, what else can they do before contacting you? Mm-hmm. Or is it just kind of a fool's errand because they're not going to write, ask the right questions anyway. It's maybe more of just contact you it's going to be the best first step to do that. I think you really need to ask yourself, how ready are you? You know, I, I will tell people, if you are curious about franchising, you know, read up on it. Maybe read the book, The Franchise mm-hmm. MBA. Okay. Really figure out what's motivating you. Why do you want to do this? Are you mad at your boss for the day? If you mm-hmm. do that and you go click around on right. the internet and you start entering in your information, you've just now opened Pandora's box and everyone in the world has now purchased your information and you're going to be called and emailed and you're going to be so frustrated. You're going to throw your hands and say, oh my gosh. And you're probably not bad at your boss three days later. Um, If you really truly have been considering this business ownership um, through franchising, uh, you know, calling, calling me would be one of the best first steps because then we can really lay out what's the game plan. Why are you doing this? Here's the real steps. Um, you had asked me a question earlier about what would be next. So, you know, when I begin working with clients, we have an initial call just to kind of get a general feel. And then we go through a series of phone calls so that I can build a business plan for them using this as the filter 
to match up against, you know, all those skill sets and the capital and the geography on where they want to be. And we use that as the filter. So then I can then present to them and say, okay, here's all of the concepts that match up with you. Now, they may not be the right one for you. You may not think, you know, one or two are good, but they match up with you. So let's give them a chance. Pick your two or three you want to begin speaking with and dating. And then you'll start going through the process. And the process in an investigation can take, you know, anywhere from four weeks to eight weeks, 10 weeks, kind of depending on schedules. Mm -hmm. And so the beginning to end, working with me to usually signing a franchise agreement, should you be awarded and accept, you know, anywhere from three months to six months. That's actually quick. I, I wish it, yeah, I, to I'm, me in my I'm mind, really I always thought it was a longer process. Than right. That, yeah. The way, especially when you set this up at the beginning of our, of the podcast, like, yeah. wow, that sounds like it could take a, a long time, but that's a lot quicker. Well, right. But that's just yeah. to get to yeah. the franchise agreement right. now to get the business open. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, right. That's a different well, story. And, sure. and even before that, that period of the three to six months, hopefully they've done some work in terms of really making sure this is what they want to do mm-hmm. as opposed to coming home one night and saying, I'm not working for that person anymore. And right. That. So <laughs> one of the, one of the questions that I meant to ask earlier, and I'm going to throw it in here, even though it doesn't, it's not in line. Um, oftentimes um, young folks want to immediately open their own business. I used to hear a lot of um, young, young people say, Oh, I, I want to start this nonprofit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, And uh, I would always sort of cringe and go, they don't have enough experience. And, you know, uh, the reports always say people 50 and over have more success at owning their own business, uh, starting something new. So without uh, looking like I'm disparaging young folks, what is what exactly would you look at in terms of somebody coming to you? As to their background, if it's a young person or an older person, is there something in there that tells them they're going to be successful? What they've done in the past, what their interests lie, whatever that may be. To answer your question, it's going to, again, come back down to that self-discipline. Mm-hmm. You know, what? what is motivating you? You can have, you know, a very successful 35-year-old person who has more self-discipline than some 60-year-olds I've seen. Age, it really doesn't matter. I think age comes into it more from the standpoint, typically it means someone has a higher net worth to be able to financially be looking into some Mm -hmm. franchise concepts and and usually some of the experience. But then again, that comes down to the person. You know, there there are some entrepreneurs that started businesses at 25 and at 35 or 40, they, they know, you know, they want to open something else up. And I've had some serial entrepreneur conversations that, you know, they're like, I love franchising. I don't want to go through the the pain and the hassle and the headache and the blood, sweat and tears um, and start something from the ground up. So I think just going back to that self-discipline, a, a good self-awareness of who you are, how you would be as a business owner, some of the real reality checks that it takes to get a business mm-hmm. off the ground. Right. So for our listeners, Talanda has a great quiz segment on the website quick quiz to understand where you are in your search and possibly which concepts would fit with you i think that's a great quiz to take before contacting you so go to the website Mm -hmm. take the quiz she gets the answers (laughs) kind (laughs) of sees what's going on but i think it's a nice self-assessment as that beginning stage it's right there on the website to the franchiseeducator.com and take the quiz and see what's going on i think it's a really nice logical 
soft step into this along with everything else we talked about in this podcast and see if this is the right place to go. But to me, knowing to land as long as I have, she's a great resource, great first step. If you're thinking about this, she's not going to force you into anything and, and no. she will tell you this isn't the fit for you. No, It doesn't I've, benefit I've, you to do that. No. And I've been in my client's shoes and, and that's one of the biggest benefits is I was on the other side of the phone call before. I don't like to feel pressured. I don't like anyone to not be transparent and real. And and I will tell clients, I'm going to challenge you a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, you right. know, I may not always tell you what you want to hear, but I want you to understand that if you're going to make a decision of no, that's okay. But do you know why you're making that decision? And you can walk away and be comfortable with it. And I don't want you to be thinking that you have to be forced to say yes and then regret it. So, you know, let's figure this out and ask the tough questions and challenge you on this. And is that okay? Right. right. I, I mean, your ultimate goal is for them to be successful. Right. You know, and, and franchisors do not want unsuccessful franchisees. It, it's not a win-win oh, for no. either side. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it true, it comes down to money. Let's all be real here. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, a franchisor does not want an unsuccessful franchisee on their books. They have to disclose that. So they are going to do everything that they can to make sure that you're successful. Now, whether that's holding your hand a little longer or sending in some support or having you go through training again. And I think people get a real fear once they start reading that FDD or that franchise agreement, I'll get a phone call. Oh my gosh, if I step left too far, then they're going to get rid of me. And it's like, well, no, (laughs) What, what they're really doing is they're protecting the system. So I tell people, and this was this was advice given to me years ago, read those FDDs or read the franchise agreements from the perspective of you're already in the system. You spent some of your hard-earned savings to get into this system. Now, how are you going to feel if the guy over on the next territory next to you isn't following it? He's doing his Very own true. thing. Mm-hmm. So you want that franchisor to be able to I guess, essentially get him in line, make you all bought into the same system. You believe in it, you're following it. And now that's what they need to do. They're not going to look for every excuse to get rid of you, but they, it, it really comes down to those exceptions of, okay, now we really need to do something to make sure the system does not collapse. As a condominium owner, I always tell everyone, um, this person's pink flamingo is someone else's artwork and <laughs> it, you you really do want to like stay with the system or else you're going to have a problem right yes. and some very people true. don't like that they get a very knee-jerk exactly. negative react and that's okay well Perfect. thanks for being a part of the podcast thank we you appreciate it. Me. I it was wonderful it. yes great um, yeah i just i know this topic is is always on the forefront of some going into business like you said it could be that knee-jerk reaction that i had a bad day at work now i start to look but i <laughs> but i think unfolding a lot of the pieces to this the, the mystery around owning a franchise, I think it's important because right. it's really a great legitimate way to self-sustain yourself and, and you know, build a new life, honestly. Oh, right. And and there may be different reasons why people are coming to me. It could be career transition. Mm-hmm. It could be building plan B because they're looking ahead in five years and, and do they still want to be in this job? Um, they could be knowing that layoffs are coming. Uh, maybe it's the stay-at-home mom where her kids are now in high school and she wants to contribute, but she wants more control of her schedule. So there's really you know, right. different reasons. Or some people want to do a master territory and add it to their financial portfolio. Mm-hmm. So I, many different reasons why, but all of them can fit. Yeah. Wonderful. What's the best way to contact you? I know the website, of course. The website's the easiest. There's my email on there and the 800 number, um, thefranchiseeducator.com. Great. Good. Thanks again. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.